OTB GAA. Off the ball. This is News Talk. All right, RT Sports reporter Damien Lawler is alongside me in studio. He has just released a new book, After the Storm, the GEA, COVID and the Power of People. On sale in all good bookshops right now. Uh, nice to have you in the studio, Damien. How are you keeping? Uh, Nathan, it's good to see you. Things are going well. Busy, busy, busy. Good. Uh, the inspiration for a book like this, where did it come from? So, I suppose COVID started and I ended up covering a lot of the stories uh, around the GEA ceasing and the GEA getting back to play and all that happened in between. And, you know, at the start, I felt under a fair bit of pressure. Uh, I just felt that there was an itch maybe to get back playing. People thought we'd get back three or four weeks. That didn't happen. And as life went on, I got the distinct impression that people were suffering, people really missed it. And all my kind of stories were administration, governance, the financial hit, return to play, when that happened. You were hanging on the, the government press briefings. But slowly, slowly, Nathan, the personal stories, the human interest stories came in and I kind of got a, a good bank of them built up. And I, I mentioned to a few people that I'd been storing away stuff and thinking about doing a book on how the GA was coping with COVID. And after maybe a few months' time, I spoke to Paul Rouse, I spoke to the publisher. Both of them said, nah, People are sick of COVID at this stage. We're weary of it. No way. But they asked me what I had in mind and I, I listed out a few ideas and they said, that's different. There could be a market for that. So I, I kept ploughing ahead, Nathan. Two years later, here we are. And I suppose if I could summarise it, the power of people is on the subhead there. Mm. It's really all about people. It's peppered in between or the, the government and the GEA's attempts to get us back on track. But it's all about people. All the different battles that people had to get through COVID. You, it is a vast landscape, the GA, and you, you cover it all in this book from people who were suffering with severe illness, who were so restricted in their movements during COVID. And, you know, it is, even though it's so recent, it's still difficult to, to read yeah. back and imagine that that is what we have, have lived through over the last few years. You do cover the, the top of the GA as well. And the GA was in so much focus because the love of sport and people wanted to get back. And it was a real sign of normality that when the GA started to return, whether it was just for kids' games or eventually starting to open up Crow Park again. Mm. The coverage of that and the pressure people the likes of John Horan were under. Like there was, I remember the time when there was talk that they might lose their government funding because of teams going back training. Uh, remind us of, of that and, and from the conversations you've had with people, just how intense the scrutiny was on Crow Park headquarters. Yeah, and I asked them, like, were they under pressure? And I, I, Fergie McGill and John Horan were two of the leading characters that got the GEA through COVID. Um, and they both, they both kind of rebuked the word pressure but like they had to have been under it I mean you were 15 14, 15 weeks out from Christmas 2020 Nathan and you had the word there that there would be a championship of some form uh, but yet there was no guarantee of anything and John Horne was in a central council meeting on a Saturday morning his phone rang around half ten and it was Jack Chambers and he knew that the answer to a championship or no championship lay with that phone call. So Jack Chambers said that he had got a personal commitment from Minister Michael McGrath that the money was forthcoming and it was coming to plough ahead with the championship. Behind it all, Michal Martin really wanted the championship, the, the Taoiseach, and I suppose uh, he's got huge GA links. He felt it would give people a lift in dark times. And he was right. Uh, for But it was only 15 weeks out that they, they got the actual green light to go ahead. They were, they were losing money everywhere. I mean, people say, how, how could the GEA be struggling for money? Mm. They had made 70 million the previous year. 
87 to 93% of that money goes straight back to clubs, Nathan, and it goes back quickly. They've projects, you drive anywhere in Ireland, look at any GA premises, there's floodlight, floodlights, ball walls, new pitches being laid. That money goes right back there. So they were, they were cash poor and uh, gay receipts were gone, club lottos were gone. Uh, and effectively, that's how close it came to a championship not being played in 2020. And that would have been a landmark moment for the GEA. Only once in their history had a championship not been completed. We spent that time waiting for people to slip up, it feels like. And I was as guilty as anybody. I remember sitting in here at the morning. The story was on the front of the Irish Independent yeah. that the dubs were out training. And there's other examples of like Mayo sneaking backroom staff, unaccredited staff into the All-Ireland final. Did we just totally lose the run of ourselves with that? Or when you think back and you were talking to people at the time, just how serious an incident was, say particularly the Dublin footballers, who I know they feel quite aggrieved that they've been singled out, as you point out in this, there were yeah. there were many, many breaches. Yeah, there were, yeah. Uh, it, it, internally in the GEA, how seriously was that taken? They were furious. Um, I'll go forward a little bit. When the club championship celebration spilled over and you saw that, that viral video of one part of the town meeting the other part of the town in, in a street in Southside mm-hmm. Cork and the meeting in the middle... John Horan rung me Hall Martin the next day and said, we're, we're pulling the whole thing. We're pulling all the championships. I think 11 championships had to be completed around the country. Right. We're pulling everything. Mihal was there. Uh, Nemo Rangers were due to play the county final on Sunday. And Son Mihal, and goals. goals. And he was there. Mm, do you have to kind of pull everything? Uh, but they, 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 they pulled it and made that decision. Reverse back up then a little bit. And to what you first mentioned, the high profile training breaches. You had Down, you had Cork, you had Monaghan, mm. you had Dublin. Dublin were on the front page of the national newspapers. The Independent got it slap bang in the middle and the GA were really furious over that. And I think now, Nathan, um, if you talk to maybe some of the players, would they put themselves forward to train in that environment knowing what happened? I don't think they would. Uh, I think when you think of, of COVID and how it played out, what difference did it make if a team train like I mean it wasn't going to bring them on you know it was ridiculous to think that people were going out GEA teams were trying to do their best they were training in social distance fashion mm. they were training in public places not GEA grounds but really and truly did they need to do that it went down like a lead balloon with the GEA put them under enormous pressure I don't believe it ever really was a risk of costing them funding but they got their knuckles wrapped by the GEA or by the government on a couple of occasions and it was bad PR at a time when 90% of the, the association was doing great work to try and offset the threat of COVID. Don't forget the questionnaires, Nathan. You would have filled them out for your, your own kids. Mm. Like uh, 13 million of those were filled out. And the GA are sure that they helped keep the spread of COVID down as well because it reminded you every single time you were going out to take precautions. Then you had four high-profile breaches and you had club championship celebrations. And that, that did ruin it for, for quite a few people. That's remarkable that it was John Horan who made the initial call to Michal Martin, uh, obviously knowing the potential consequences and fallout of what, as the footage started to emerge. Yeah, he, he rung on, on October morning and he uh, just said, it's gone, we can't, the GA could control everything that happened within their own premises, but once the cup left or went to a, a, a local pub, the GA were powerless to do that. And uh, it, it just so happened then that a lot of clubs hadn't won titles in about 60 years. And the, <laughs> a perfect storm arrived. Uh, so they all, they all kind of... Um, they all kind of arrived at one time but Michal Martin was kind of saying to John Horan you know are you sure like you don't have to go to these lengths you are going to great lengths elsewhere mm-hmm. Horan was having none of it he pulled the plug straight away he he was a serious leader in all of this um, you know I have a chapter there the pandemic presidency 
Uh, I think he, he started off his presidency trying to get integration a bit closer and maybe one or two tweaks in the calendar and he ended up in the middle of a pandemic just trying to keep the association alive. Uh, the book isn't uh, isn't a inside the corridors of power during COVID type book. That's certainly a part of it and, and has to be covered. It is more a story of people, people and the way the GEA community came together. You talk about David Brady there and like the brilliant initiative he started. Yeah, and... Like Brady was was talking me through his time making phone calls to elderly and vulnerable and isolated people. And a phone call would start off with, you're the first person I spoke to in a week. Um, and, and Brady would have got, David, you know David, Nathan. Mm. And like, he's a very, very uh, brilliant fella. But like he got very emotional. But by the end of his exercise, he probably gave about a year and a half ringing people. And by the end of the, his time, people were coming out of the closet, um, you know, declaring their, their sexuality to him, their, telling him their, their deepest uh, fears. Uh, you know, like I think one man had Brady's partner um, and his own kids were cocooning to protect him. And David rung him at a particularly vulnerable moment. He struck up great friendships then with, with others. Um, it all it all started with a with a a, a guy um, whose son is a journalist. Uh, he was a far, farm and sheep in Wicklow, and David rung him, and, and he was looking after his neighbour's sheep, which David thought straight away this is an act of a good guy. Mm. And uh, your man thought it was a bit of a skit, uh, but he said, "No, I'm here, David Brady. Your son said you might need a chat. Do you want to talk about Mayo football?" And they chatted away. And right. It's just small little acts of kindness like that in that chapter. But there's so many great yarns that David tells as well, Nathan. And I just thought it was important to bring that in with fresh stuff as well. Yeah, the fellow down in Kilshamah who seemed to know his date of birth somehow. Knew his date of birth when, when David rung. And he had heard him on uh, Midwest Radio a few years previously. Um, and then uh, he, David spoke to a guy whose minor team had checked in on him 20 years later to see if he was okay mm. during COVID. And he just said, how these guys even thought of me? You know, it's just the community looking out for each other. Yeah. Uh, I love Debbie Brady, obviously. Uh, and when you read back as to what he did, like it is a remarkable thing that made such a difference to so many people. And the sac- the time he put into it himself, he was making over, what, 20, 25 calls a, a day to a people. Day, yeah. And then spending more time calling people he knew to get them to make calls as well. He had a little army behind him as mm. well. And like, he would get the odd bit of abuse as well, like for, for being a Mayo footballer. And remember what you guys did to poor old Pillar Caffrey's dubs in the hill? Oh, yeah. Uh, I like to remind Mossy Quinn of it all the time. Yeah, yeah, taking over the hill and he got he got flack for that. Uh, I, I think one guy he, he rung uh, just hadn't met anybody. Uh, he was living maybe three or four miles away from the nearest house. And even, even then, he didn't know the people in the house. He knew their ancestors, their mm-hmm. generation. But he, he was telling David that they didn't know this this chap either, but they arrived with groceries and left them on his door and just said, we're only over the road if you want us, left right. their phone numbers and stuff like that. And I think you had shopping being delivered to the elderly, you had the community coming out looking after each other. And I think maybe in parts of Ireland, you take that for granted because the GEA it's just maybe a meeting point for people. It's also the walkways, getting the walkways open so people could walk around. You think back at the trivial stuff like that, people just wanted the club gates open to go down and have a few kicks or a few pucks. But nothing like that was, it wasn't hmm. allowed. GA just, they took a, a zero tolerance policy. They cracked down on closing everything. And it, they got the trust of the government and they, they, they earned that. And then they gradually, slowly opened up the return to play. And then really of all the people's stories in between that. 
Yeah, can you tell us about some of them? Because the clubs, the support that local clubs get, particularly I think to their elderly communities of of properly checking in, as you say, making sure that if they couldn't go to the shops, that somebody somebody would step up. So go to New York, first of all. You had a, 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 a heap of undocumented Irish over there mm-hmm. uh, that, that probably people still don't even think about. And a lot of those were working in the hospitality and, and service industries, and, and they lost all their jobs. The GEA community, led by Joan Henshey over there, she's a New York GEA president, they rallied around together to become part of a movement called Slauncha. And they literally fed families and kept families from going under. They paid their rent, they looked after their kids. Um, a lot, You know, Joan would, I suppose, come across people with mental health illnesses. Uh, so they would have looked after all that aspect. Back in Ireland then, I'll give you an example of an Antrim hurler, Donal Nugent. Donal had... Uh, gone through his own battle before COVID even started. He was dealing with addiction. He was in Coonvera. Uh, he had gone to a dark place in his life, maybe lost a lot of money, um, probably gambling and drink. He transferred from his home club, ended up playing against his brother in a county final, had an altercation with his brother. You know, he's in a dark, dark place. Uh, got admitted then, got help from the GPA. So when he came out, you're, tro- you're told to surround yourself with good people you can trust. A pandemic struck. He had to cocoon. He was isolated. And I think the worst thing an addict uh, can have, so the experts say, is spare time and time to think. And essentially, his story, how he got through the whole lot, from the Antrim hurling manager coming down and throwing him the keys of the car after a game so he wouldn't get sucked back into temptation, go off and get a coffee or whatever, to his teammates checking in on him. Um, This guy went from being homeless uh, to basically finding his life again. Through the help of the GPA, the counselling service, and through the GEA community as well. Uh, incredible story. Uh, to flip that then, Lockmore or Castellini, uh, they played like two years, 19 games in 19 weeks. COVID nearly brought all their best players back, as it did with the Tipperary mm. footballers. And they ended up winning uh, back-to-back county titles, uh, sorry, dual county titles in hurling football. Tipperary won a Munster title out of the blue because all their best players, Colin O'Reardon, all these guys were back in Ireland at the same time. They were supposed to be travelling columns down in the AFL as well. So COVID did mad, mad things. And uh, I think if you just look around the country, um, there was a camogie player called Marianne Walsh, Nathan. Um, She was a nurse in in the hospital in Waterford. She was diagnosed with with a cancer in the middle of this as well. And what kept Marianne going during her treatment was the prospect of playing with her club and winning a camogie championship down in Kilkenny. And five months after being diagnosed, she won that championship and she got player of the year in Kilkenny. Wow. Her teammates arrived up in the door. They weren't allowed to go in with restrictions, but they dropped off presents for her the night before her chemotherapy. So all these stories happened in a dark period of our lives, but they're all stories of resilience, how people got back again and the power of people, I guess. You do look at those that intercounty season as well uh, during 2020 when, as you say, mad things happens. Cavan, Cavan. one, Tipperary one. You would have assumed that Mayo would have won it that year as well <laughs> yeah, behind closed doors, but uh, it was sticking out for it. You know. uh, I, I suppose that. the Tyrone setup as well. We we keep forgetting that the whole championship nearly was skewed because of the Tyrone COVID situation, and I document w- with the Tyrone camp how they got through it. Then maybe a, a near neighbour of yours, Neil Ewing for Sligo. Neil's career ended on a whim. Uh, because after 13, 14 years playing for his county, Sligo had to withdraw because of COVID cases and he never got a, a chance to have a, a last season or mm. a farewell. So there's a contrast there as well. And, and even in those good stories of, of Tip and Cavan, like, while they were brilliant to end their long waits, there just wasn't enough people there to see it. There wasn't enough people able to celebrate it. It was the weirdest thing ever. I was lucky enough to be down there in Parky Cueve the day Tip won and I'd been like underage Tip setups under 17, under 20 over the years so I'd know the work that would have gone into it. It was so weird, like, I mean, 
there was nobody at home in Turles to, to Clonmel was like a ghost town mm. um, you know the, the the Tipperary football support is low enough anyway they nearly know all their supporters by name but the players would have loved to have met those people on the field afterwards when you think back about it now like you wouldn't even allow 500 people at the time it was just a blanket of darkness so it was the weirdest time ever I'll never forget it and it bit, maybe did it take away the goodness it probably did a little bit because tip football deserved this moment in the sun no more than Mayo football as well what might have been eh? what might have been uh, you said when you first went to the publishers and you spoke to somebody like Paul Rouse like, like, it, it's such recent history do people want to dredge it all up again uh, did you find this an enjoyable book to write did you find hearing these stories really worthwhile yeah I did like uh, there was a chapter on the, the Me the Ladies footballers and look at the journey they've gone mm. on they've been able to go on that partly because Covid brought them all home as well and give them a chance to become the best conditioned team in ladies football like they were able to give like time after time after time in the gym uh, training together they became closer as a team together because they were all at home as well and I went out to meet Eamon Murray to interview Eamon for the, for the book it was just a pleasure to, to, le- to learn their stories as well um, and to, to hear what was coming in like they, did I enjoy it? Suppose you never enjoy writing a book, Nathan, and then when it comes out, then you're you're wondered, you're worried how it'll go down. Uh, so I was stressed enough writing it, but when, when you look back at the pictures, maybe the picture section has reassured me that things will be okay with this book because it just gives you a, a, a fairly snapshot, a, a fairly good insight into what we went through. Mm. So it's still quite recent, but we've forgotten an awful lot of it. I mean, what we take for granted now, people were texting me. Will we be able to wear gum shields? Will we be able to shake hands? Will we bring our own water bottles? Can 50 people get into the ground or maybe 100? That's only like a year ago. You know, we moved on pretty quickly, yeah. you know? Yeah, I remember standing in Crow Park the day of the All-Ireland Final alongside David Brady, uh, watching Mayo against Dublin and wondering, like, is this real? Like, is, is this what you want an All-Ireland Final to be? And I was down pitch side as a reporter and like Johnny Cooper was taken off for the last 12 minutes and, and I... Johnny was in front of me guiding the team home from the sideline alongside Desi, obviously. But you could hear every word the players were saying to each other. And uh, from that point of view, I mean, it was behind Rory Gallagher when Rory was managing Derry against Donegal. And like the game went on for about 77 minutes. And how the man had a voice afterwards, I don't know, because he coached every single play and tactic. But it was fascinating from a reporter's point of view because you could actually hear everything. Usually, you know yourself, you're battling Mm. crowds. But I could, like, Rory never relented once. Like he, I'd say single-handedly, Christy McCaig made a run up to the halfway line at one stage. It was an off-the-ball run, and Rory let a Rory to get back and look after his man. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, Jesus, is he allowed to express himself here at all? But, but Rory justified it. They won a provincial title the year after, you know? It does really hammer home what rural Ireland loses with its young people having to well, either just move to the big cities or to emigrate when you look at the impact that having all those people back living in their hometowns again uh, back working from home back being able to play for their local club to commit properly to the county like, it's incredible how quickly it's turned again and they're all gone again yeah it was a snapshot in time and People are finding it very hard to get accommodation in in, um, in in urban areas. They're finding it hard to afford accommodation. But not everybody wants hybrid working either, Nathan. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people want you in the office again. So they were home for about maybe 18 months. Some people did settle. I know back in Nina, where I'm from, a lot of people came back and stayed there. But a lot of people left again. And I think um, even with Lockmore, they're out of the hurling now. They've lost a, a lot of their team through injury and travel. So I think a lot of young guys and, and young girls as well playing said, hang on. 
there's more to my life than just being a GA player. And a lot of them went off travelling. A lot of maybe are retiring 28, 29. They're not going on the way they did either. But have you got a sense of that? Uh, because I did wonder, I, I remember myself, you know, out coaching underage teams and like we're all sort of busy with, you know, every night of the week there's something on. Yeah, you there is. Yeah. Step back and said, never going to get back into that cycle again. We'll cut back on what the kids are doing. Give them a bit more spare time. Give everyone a bit more spare time. And this week is exactly as it was back in 2019. That Did the GA lose anything after COVID in terms of of the volunteer side of things was there was there a cohort of people who just didn't come back who did find something else in their life I think I think a, a lot of people came back and were itching to come back and I think you're right we're, I think we're back in that little that little bubble again like I mean I know myself when, when COVID hit I was wondering what to do because apart from being a journalist my whole life is tied up with GEA it's, it's actually very sad the only outlet I have in my life is GEA and uh, like I said to myself, I'm going to use this time to catch myself on. But I was driving back to Tipperary, helping out a minor team, my club, Killer One. And, uh, and now I'm with the nace underage setup, and it's not, not as much travel. But you're still out five, six nights a week. So you have a cashless society of GEA games now. You, you, do, you don't can't pay for a ticket anymore in cash. That's changed. But I think the, the coaches nearly are, are coming back. Look at the way referees are being treated too, Nathan. Like, I mean, we haven't got a... Uh, an appreciation really for for match officials and what they're mm. what they're putting into it. So, um, has it changed? We have a split season. That'll be tweaked. It'll go back another two weeks. I'd say in over two years, and then you'll have intercounty coming into the start of August. Maybe chance for break, and then club will take it home from there. So you have a split season. Um, you have a lot of people still working from home. A lot of GEA officials still still maybe doing a hybrid situation. Um, You've got Garth Brooks filling out Crow Park. You've got 82,000 people at All-Ireland Finals. All that is back. So I think financially, we, are the, have the GEA recovered? Uh, I'd say it'll be another few years yet. Um, but I think there's the concerts and all that will help. And uh, I think that none of the sponsors withdrew either. They all they all stayed with it. Um, and I, I feel the next step now will be integration process. It probably it probably has helped kickstart the integration process. The, the four bodies had to act as one with all of this. You couldn't have Camogie Association doing things differently. So for the first time ever, all Gaelic games ceased under the one umbrella of, of a joint four group. And I'd say that has kick-started the road to integration. The fact that Mary McAleese is involved, I'd say now it'll be a definite time frame on it. This won't be allowed just just meander down through the years. I give it a few years and we'll be we'll be one body, I'd imagine. That's that's something that COVID started too. Damien, uh, pleasure to have you in studio. The book, The GEA, COVID and the Power of People After the Storm from Damien Lawler. It's out now. Get it for the Christmas. You can reflect on the bad times of the recent past as we hopefully, hopefully look forward to some decent times. Damien, thanks a lot. Great talking to you, Nathan. Thanks a million. Off the Ball on News Talk.